I'm Dr. Josie Oje, and this is Gikapikskwewin on why our cultural values are so important to Indigenous peoples involved in research with Indigenous peoples. Nice to see you again. Yes, we are in the frigid Alberta, and it's been, you know, just over six months since we had the Kikabik uh, Squiwin event, you know, and, and Nisha, I'm glad you're here too. Yeah, I mean, when we think about the training of graduate student researchers, um, when we think about that training around research ethics, it can be very narrow, it can be very circumscribed, and it can be training that... Um, that really can reproduce the harms that tend to happen in colonial institutions. So I, I'm, just, I'm just curious to hear, you know, if you have more thoughts around the training that you've received when it comes to research ethics and how this symposium or even other research opportunities have disrupted that and given you kind of a new approach to research that is grounded in more relational forms of knowing um, and non-extractive forms of engagement? I'm excited about that question because something I've been advocating for since kind of what we started our work together is why haven't I seen this before? So I did my undergrad um, in sociology and philosophy and I learned a ton about ethics in philosophy. And then I also learned a ton about ethics in sociology. And then we talk about political science and the courses I took there and there's ethical guidelines there too. And I can't remember one time in my entire undergraduate, which took me five years, so out of the five years, um, that I was ever introduced to indigenous thoughts and indigenous ways of knowing. And especially in a place like Edmonton, where we have so much rich, deep indigenous culture and history here. And when we're doing that research, most often they're involved. Um, so that was shocking. And then I moved into my um, graduate program with the interest of continuing to learn. And if I'm frank, there's been no indigenous methodology really implemented other than a couple readings which were super helpful um, and guidelines. And through that, I learned that our courses are developed by the course instructors, but also overarching corporate bodies of their expectations of what's within a course. So I've been trying to search and find how can I bring this more into my studies? And it's, it's self-guided at this point. Really, I have made amazing connections with professors such as the three of you and even further with other professors in the university who share similar goals, but those relationships wouldn't have been created had I not stepped into a different space. So I, I, I fear that had I continued without further involvement or question seeking, that really would have been lacking. Um, and it's a little bit worrisome, if I'm honest, because I want everybody else. I don't want, um, I'm the loud, pushy, ask for what I want with no apologies type of person, but not everyone's like that. So I don't want those who don't feel comfortable walking 
in their shoes in that way to miss out on the knowledge. I want it to be available. And I think that shows after our conversations, I know a lot of the people who were there, others who joined and ourselves really felt like we have work to do. And this is showing us how much work really still needs to be done. Um, but that's a step in the right direction. So I'm confident moving forward. Uh, and we're so grateful like to have you involved like with our, our research project. Well, it wasn't really a research project. It was more of like a knowledge mobilization thing to bring, you know, people together, um, academics from, you know, across Canada, New Zealand and Australia, you know, to attend our event and, and you helped to organize it like in such a way that instilled like that confidence, you know, Michaela's taking care of this and she's doing this wonderful job. And uh, we really appreciated that. And all of the comments that you've uh, made so far, like about how far we still have to go with research ethics and in your in your view and in learning about organizing this event on research ethics how is that like significant for you in terms of the process well coming into the process you'd expect it to be similar um, project planning where there's the boss and the one who's calling the shots and making the decisions and i think that when we approached this project from the get-go it was collaborative um, I think as a team, we did a really good job of acknowledging where people's strengths and weaknesses lied and how to um, approach conversations and tasks and actions that needed to be completed with respect of those strengths and weaknesses, with respect of the personal situations going on in our lives. Sometimes I had an off week or someone else did, and we were able to work as a team and, and pick up the pieces that may have been dropped, but that was only through collaboration and communication. So I think from the get-go with our team, um, we were able to be successful in this project because of that. And not only just that, this is our outcome. Um, we have to achieve this outcome, but also kind of enjoying the process and, getting excited about collaboration and getting really stressed out at times because of the pressure that's on our shoulders, but having faith in each other. Um, I liked that. And often when you're a student approaching a situation, um, you have guidelines and set timelines and like, I need 25 of these by tomorrow, or I want you to put in two hours of doing this, this and that rather than approaching it like we did with this is our goal how do you see yourself collaborating and um, contributing to that goal so i think that for me was a really positive experience and i think that's how we were able to develop our relationships to be the way they are now um, and i think it really ties in to kind of our indigenous community and ways of knowing and being together primarily and how everything and all the work that indigenous communities do is very whole we think about not just the outcome but we also think about the spirituality behind it how we're giving back to the earth how we're giving back to the community um how we're connecting with one another and building relationships and it's kind of like a ceremony of sorts um when you think about how we came together and the room that we were in
Thank you for sharing that. Um, for you, Nisha. I love so much of what you said there, uh, Michaela. You know, like I think your analysis around um, the way in which the training you received around Indigenous research methodologies or um, kind of research ethics was entirely discretionary, right? It was it was through relationships that you cultivated or, you know, faculty cultivated with you. But, you know, I, th- I think you're making a really, really astute point in terms of how we think about the container in which we are enacting research ethics and how does that container structurally support um, research ethics more broadly, but then also thinking specifically about Indigenous research methodologies. So I think that's, you know, I I wanted to pause on that point there because it's a really powerful analysis that you're giving around um, discretion and how it can really work against us um, in in some um, systemic ways, but then it can provide these small openings um, that can enable us to push forward in more systemic and structural ways. You know, the other thing that I, I think is just powerful about how you described um, our process and how this research symposium was an ethically significant encounter is when you just said, you know, when I'm, I'm probably... I'm paraphrasing you here, but, you know, in speaking to Indigenous research methodologies, you were talking about how the focus is not just on the outcome, right? And and this is, I think, something that is an ongoing learning for me, but it was something that became more and more clear as I was also engaged in this process of, of collaborating with you all um, on this symposium, because I think it was one of our speakers, maybe it was Dr. Nigana Wijan, who talked about research as relationality. I, I could be wrong, but I, I think I think she talked about research as relationality. And I think for me, the experience of working alongside you all, the experience of thinking about research ethics in these kind of temporally and spatially expansive ways, and the experience of having to do this work in institutional contexts that were actually in many ways pushing against our success, that taught me a profound lesson around relationality and how it is intrinsic to the work that we're doing as scholars, as researchers, and how it's intrinsic to how we think about research ethics. So I think that was one of the the powerful learnings for me around the process, but also the content of what was coming forth um, through this symposium. So I'm curious if that resonates with either of you, Josie or Michaela. Sure. Uh, well, and I don't think that uh, our our listeners would realize, like, you know, when you're when you apply for a SHRC grant and you get institutional support uh, for the research. Um, and if you have the vehicle, like a truck, you're the one who has to go get all of the supplies. It's not like somebody else is, is going to be uh, doing doing any of that for you. And then trying to plan like an event during, um, during the pandemic. And it, of course, there's still COVID is still going around. You know, there were like a lot of barriers, like in terms of, you know, making sure that we were following like institutional protocols, like around around COVID for one thing. And I attended like 
um, meetings with our with our university to ensure you know that we were following all of the protocols and yes that this was a hybrid event you know some people were attending in person and some people were attending online and not only that um, you know the use of certain software uh, to enable us to to do this effectively like for a lot of indigenous people primarily indigenous people who are more comfortable with one software than another that was that was an, another another institutional barrier so ultimately you know when when as as the weeks you know drew closer i think it was like a couple of weeks right in june where we decided that no let's just go across the street let's go across multiplex and and you know and most of us like showed up like in person almost all of us were there we were there with our hearts we were there with our umbrellas because it was pouring rain and you know and i i totally like appreciated you know um town people in the town of athabasca you know being helpful like with beautiful flower arrangements with food um, you know, with the facilities and and the university providing a little bit of you know swag for uh, to show yes that we're this is part of an Athabasca University uh, in part funded event and and to move forward like that, you know, given the fact that our IT people donated their time to help us out in that way, um, you know to make sure that you know the cameras were working the mics were working we were able to get internet um, in in the multiplex it was just there was just like one after another and if it wasn't for us like connecting and having that relationality having that sense of responsibility that this is bigger there's so much more work to do it, we're part of this uh, sharing this responsibility to share this information with um, young young people, Skaya, new people that are coming up who bridge that, you know, that Western and that indigenous worldview so that they can, you know, gift it forward to other people, having respect for all of my colleagues and uh, responsibility and, and that it was a relevant topic, something that, you know, as Michaela identified, that in her undergrad that she didn't learn that so i'm i'm really grateful and i i'm grateful for all of you ultimately that's my thought my comment on that question thank you nisha do you remember the moment i think it was the day before the event we were setting up i was carrying the kettle through the door and we did not have internet we had a virtual event and we did not have internet and we took a second and we all sat outside with i think our lunch and I said, Let, take your shoes off and put them in the grass, put your feet in the grass. <laughs> Just, yes, I remember, my gosh. Let's ground ourselves. And I think that had we not, like you said, built that relationality over the course of our planning session, maybe we wouldn't have been as comfortable to be vulnerable with each other and be like, this is stressful. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. This is stressful. There's a lot of people waiting on us and it's not going super great right now. So let's just talk about bugs and put our feet in the grass and get back to it when we're feeling a little better. And I think there was peace in that, peace in the community, peace in connecting and grounding ourselves there, um, an appreciation of like the sun is shining, the grass is green.
going to happen tomorrow. We're going to have conversations. Um, and whatever way it turns out, it'll be better than if we hadn't. I so appreciate that. I, I thank you for sharing that because, yes, uh, we were totally grounded into Mother Earth and, um, you know, feeling that enormous like relief and strength to be able to, you know, work from our hearts and that things were, you know, going to go well. And Anisha, you know, thank you for the tablecloths too, because that was such a nice little touch because we didn't even see the room until we got there. So having something to cover the the tables that were there for the cameras, like that was just another, you know, a kind, a kind moment and a kind gesture. So thank you for that. Um, lots to do about organizing and having faith. Uh, very, very important. I wanted to pop in, in too, because I, I think that, you know, there's another interesting point that's being made here, right, around the relational accountabilities that we felt towards each other, right? And also the care that we felt towards each other to, to support each other in making this happen. And I think for me, because if we expand out to think about kind of the impetus for the symposium and the, the questions guiding this, and then also the experiences guiding this, which kind of emerged out of your experiences, Josie, and going through the research ethics board process, I'm also thinking about what would it look like to imagine an institution that also felt relationally accountable to us or also kind of extended that kind of care to us? Like, what would that look like? And how might that have changed our experience in terms of, you know, putting on the symposium and inviting people into this space? And, you know, I mean, that's a hard question to, to ask and answer. So I don't expect us to, to have a resolved answer for that. But I think it's a question that we need to be continually reflecting on and putting back also to the institution, because to be ethical researchers, um, I think we need we need a, a vessel, a container, a nest, something that will ground us, as you're speaking to both of you, um, that will ground us always as we are, are doing this work. So, you know, if, if you have thoughts on what it would look like to imagine the institution otherwise in terms of that, please, I would love to hear it, or we can leave that question kind of open, lingering in the air. Well, I can respond to that first, and maybe, Michaela, if you have anything to comment on or add, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective for sure. That's an interesting question, uh, Nisha. I really appreciate that. You know, to feel cared for as an Indigenous person is not something that I'm totally used to. Because pretty much all my life, I've had to struggle. I've had to work against the grain. And I don't know what it would feel like to, to really totally feel cared for you know, in my in my work environment, or because usually like I'm, I'm caring for people, or usually, um, and in life, generally, I feel that I've always had to do things alone and independently. And it's great, like, it's great to have people who um, believe and were committed to what we were doing like us, our group, 
to believe in what we were doing, to feel, um, to feel, yes, we are all in, we all were best had, you know, vested commitments to this. I felt cared for on the grass, wiggling my toes, you know, praying for a miracle to happen. And really all it was, was the, the firewall, right? So we just had to get access to that, but OMG, like it was really tense there for a moment. So that's what it felt like to be cared for because it was kind of like, you know, you know, we were being blessed despite everything we had to go through. We were, we were being blessed and that feeling in itself, that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of being able to overcome despite adversity is, is success, is a measure of success. Um, and that feels really good. You feel really solid about, about um, knowing that despite everything that you are able to, to survive. And yes, there were many times, you know, when I felt like worried, a little afraid, sometimes like even sad when things didn't quite go well, disappointed. I never felt lonely though, you know, I felt like we were all in this together. Um, so yeah, no, I felt like our group was caring. Um, we understood each other. Um, you know, there was a sense of contentment in that afterwards. And I felt so um, happy. And I think for a while there, I had this joyful glow, like after all the rain, I don't know what happened that week, but all of that rain that just like poured on us and carrying my umbrella and the wind was blowing, you know, afterwards, like when we were done and we were packing up, the, the cement was dry, um, you know, we were coming out of the, into the parking lot, loading up the thing. I knew I still had like some, we all had like work to do, like unpacking and trying to process like all of this, but it just felt like, so joyful. Like, I think I had a smile from ear to ear <laughs> driving that stuff back, you know, but it was all good. What about you? Uh, well, I, I kind of wanted to point on two notes. Number one is I think everybody in that room was looking at you and were like, ah, she's in her element. Like this is her dream has come true. She's happy. And we all, I think, felt like we were kind of supporting and hoping that that's the outcome that you would have and feel because this kind of started as your your negative experience turned into an opportunity and I think the opportunity we got was able to kind of I hope make that a little bit less negative if you see what comes out of it which is it's a hard way to think about things and but like yeah you were you were glowing. <laughs> there was a there was an aura existing of, of just joy and contentment. And I think also relief. Um, I think we all felt that that week and I probably slept for a week straight afterwards. <laughs> but also I wanted to know that how you said often as Indigenous people, we don't really feel cared for. Um, we feel like we're always having to claw and scratch and kick our way through to get what we ought to or to even get what everybody should <laughs> because we don't and I just I it makes me grateful being given the opportunity kind of in my professional career to have been working for an indigenous organization where that relationality is intrinsic to how we operate 
and it comparing say how I get to work and my relationality with my supervisors and my community um, and how that's really rooted in reciprocity versus comparing that to other organizations or corporate structures like we're discussing and how it's not. I think that there's a lot that we as Indigenous people can give to others that would help them just be better. <laughs> and it be, it, this is a, a, a topic again, I feel like I can go off on many tangents, but people always came to us. And from what I've been told, people came to us to tell the, us how they could help us um, versus us being trusted as those supporters too. I think about the Inuit and the story of the explorers and how they were like, oh, what silly men. <laughs> we told them and we taught them how to, they could survive, but they all died of scurvy. Oh, if only they listened to our advice, if only if they, they took um, the food that we told them would help them not get scurvy, uh, then it would have turned out better. And then there's songs talking about the valiant sacrifice explorers made. And there's so many people shaking their heads like, oh, you really have to. <laughs> we were there to help. So I think that um, conversations like this and events like this and the kicking and scratching and clawing that we have to do will eventually turn out into maybe our next generation won't die of scurvy. Maybe they'll listen instead, which is exciting <laughs> to me at least. And again, I'm not quoting anything. So it's possible that there are some nuances in that story that I'm not capturing. I'm not an expert at all and I'm still learning, but I just, those little tidbits make me giggle sometimes. And and sometimes when my husband doesn't want to listen to me, I tell him to go die of scurvy instead. Um, and then it's just fun. <laughs> you can, little jokes. <laughs> okay, don't listen. <laughs> See what happens. You know, I, I was going to just pop in too, because I think, um, you know, what you both have shared about, you know, the experience of being Indigenous in an institution that never extends care to you, right? Or that experience of being Indigenous in a colonial context broader than an institution that, that never extends care is like really significant and distinctive. And I and I wanted to thank you both for, for sharing that, because that really, you know, I think that that also informs what I think was in part distinctive about the, the team of us that came together, right, in terms of the different, our different social locations and what we, we carry with us into this research project and how we could, um, you know, see ourselves in collaboration through experiences we share or do not share, right, or through, you know, frank conversations about how we're implicated in different ways or not implicated. And then I guess the other thing that I, I wanted to to say to that too, you know, in thinking about what you both have shared here today and then also the symposium itself, is that to me, one of the, the big outcomes, learnings, um, I, I don't want to be so linear about the temporality of that, but outcomes or learnings to me was really how deeply everyone demonstrated that the experiential is epistemic, right? And that that is at the core 
of Indigenous research methodologies, right? That this expansive kind of understanding of research ethics that that comes from embodied relationships that that far exceed the institution. And so I think, to me, that becomes so, so critical to thinking about Indigenous research ethics, Indigenous research methodologies, and then for those of us who are non-Indigenous, how we, we think about our implication in research ethics and the institutions that support um, research ethics this notion that the experiential is epistemic, that this is knowledge, right? It's not just something that is, you know, um, you know, an experience over there that is not kind of bringing with it a profound understanding of how to be in the world, um, of how, of relationships of governance, of, you know, all sorts of relationships, right? So, you know, I'm saying this a little bit clumsily, but I think that was also a big intervention that the the people in the symposium made. And it's an intervention that I see you both making here today, like demonstrating that, that those experiences can't just be jettisoned to the side, that those are actually intrinsic to how we come into our research. They should be intrinsic to how we come into our research, but they're also kind of integral parts of kind of the the episteme, right? They bring a certain understanding of knowledge that can't, can't just be ignored. And, and those of us who are non-Indigenous have to be kind of accountable to that as well. So I just wanted to, to pop in with that. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and I wanted to go back to something that was mentioned. Yes, um, the research, uh, the, the knowledge mobilization piece originated like, you know, from a negative experience I had. Um, but it's not, it's not just about me because, you know, when you think about Dr. Michelle Pigeon as well, um, her, re- her research, uh, it was looking at, you know, going around talking to like a lot of indigenous people across Canada to find out what their experiences were like with, um, research ethics. So that this is a common kind of experience. And as, as I, as you identified, like, it's uh, a deeply experiential um, and that the knowledge is the knowledge that we, we have as Indigenous people who are walking between two worlds, between the Western and the Indigenous worldview and also embracing like our research ethics based on our cultural values and living our cultural values to the best of our ability and being able to carry those values and teachings forward within research ethics boards does become very personal on an individual basis as well as on a collective basis because it's really about identifying um, the collective's sovereign goal towards owning their own knowledge and embodied like in their experiences and to be able to hold that and to continue to develop that in terms of uh, knowledge, our own worldview, our own uh, ways of coming to know how we know our worldview and and, and those teachings and um, the practical everyday part of walking, walking that talk. So, that is why I think people were 
very committed. The elders got it. They understood exactly where I was coming from, where what, what we were talking about from the time that we um, gave protocol to the time when they actually shared and had something to, to speak about, you know, maybe not completely um, understanding what parallel pathways meant or, or what that actually means. Do we continue, do we continue uh, viewing parallel pathways with two valleys and a, and a river? Um, do we sometimes cross over and intersect? Or is it going to be, we have our, our protocols and our, our ways in which we uh, grant approval for research or, or re our own researchers coming in and they have their process. So I think we do have a lot of work to do and I thank you for that question. Josie, can I just say um, just a thank you to you for returning us to, and you have done this throughout the process and it's really grounded also in your research, but continually returning us to self-determination, right? Um, because I think that was another, you know, that, that's another theme that we can see broadly in terms of the container in which the, you know, research ethics gets um, governed in the academy is that, you know, there can be talk about reciprocity, but there is often, you know, talk about reciprocity in isolation of everything else. When we know, of course, that, you know, these are, these are intertwined when we're talking about Indigenous research methodologies and self-determination is also kind of integral and essential to that. So I, I just, you know, thank you for, for returning us to this because there is something political happening here, right? When we are bringing people together to speak about Indigenous research methodologies, there is something very political that is happening because it is also an assertion of, of being self-determined peoples. Um, and I think it can be so easy for those of us who are non-Indigenous to evade that um, so thank you for, for returning us to that again. I don't know, I'm listening to our conversations and the probing questions, and I think it really brings me back to a point I made earlier about how, although this was an amazing step, there's still so much more to go. But I think that these steps that we're making in small groups that extend out means that other people feel confident enough to be able to make those steps themselves um, and come together as community. And another thing that brings out of this is we always look at, say, planning an event or completing a paper or finishing a course or even getting a degree as something that we're doing for the purpose of the outcome um, rather than the purpose of the lessons learned in the journey. Um, and I always talk about my undergrad, like I learned in my undergrad how to think, how to question, how to read. <laughs> I didn't learn, I'm not taking um, ethno-methodology and shoving it into my daily life, but I learned how to look at a situation in my life or a conversation like this um, and apply some thought to it that's generative. And after an, a meeting, not a meeting, but a conversation such as this and an event such as what I got an opportunity to participate in with you all, 
um, what came out of that was a new way of thinking and looking at how, when we're moving through the world, how can it be changed to be different, more impactful, more connected to our culture, more connected to the community. And how did what the, the five of us did in the planning and the conversations, how did that turn into impacting others? Um, so I'm excited to listen to the other conversations that you had with the speakers and, and how they felt too. And I, I hope that this um, underlying um, feeling of kind of inspiration, hope, and also action kind of shared, spread from us to the really over 100 people who had the chance to log in over the course of the two days and experience and, and kind of learn and watch that journey with us. So, yeah. I'm grateful. Yeah, uh, I think also too. Uh, how how can it how can research ethics change? And on the second day of our event, I I think Susan Manitowabia, I think that's who did the uh, the very last presentation. She talked about their First Nation on Manitoulin Island um, and having their own research ethics board at the community level. And so this really strongly spoke to me about uh, self-governance. So what, what's happening is that they have like a committee that oversees like any um, research proposals that come, you know, that come to the community. And then they make the, res, um, the recommendation to uh, their chief and council to approve things because leaders uh, don't always have time to be reviewing um, you know research proposals and they it needs to be vetted like through their elders and their uh, you know PhDs or graduate students who've who've gone through that process so I hope that you know how can it be changed uh, I hope that as more indigenous people uh, go to their communities that they create mechanisms such as, their own board, research ethics boards to review proposals, like even like twice a year or something like that, whatever um, suits them. Well, I feel like we've come to a nice natural close to our conversation. Okay, everybody's just grinning and nodding. I know listening on podcasts, you can't see it, but I think it's exciting to see. And I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity and trusting in a a little grad student that you met virtually one time and allowing me to be as um, involved in this project as, as I was able to be. You're too humble. Uh, I don't think we're able to do um, as much as we did uh, unless we had you involved in our team. I think those hard connections will always be there and um, it definitely really was an experience and I'm, I'm glad that you were by my side and Carolyn too. And we were all collectively um, working together as a team through all of the different experiences that we had. And um, it, was, it was wonderful. So, and I'm very thankful to all of the volunteers too that helped us and we wouldn't have been able to get through it all. You've been listening to Kick Up Iksquiwin, why our cultural value is so important to indigenous peoples involved in research with Indigenous peoples. Hi, hi.
I loved hanging on to Nisha's, uh, Nisha's hand there in the last circle, which I forgot to mention. 